Good evening and welcome to another episode of Nigeria Politics Weekly. As usual, my name is Michael and co-hosting with me is Phoenix. Today we have one guest. Our guest is Samuel Atiku. He's not related to Atiku Abubakar. Samuel is a public policy analyst. Before we start, I'll first of all apologize. We've been away for two weeks and I can confidently say that this time is not my fault. It's Phoenix's fault. So Phoenix should explain himself to the listeners because oftentimes the listeners try to blame me, but this time I can confidently say it's Phoenix. But we're going to be discussing three topics today. First of all, we'll discuss Nigeria's attendance at the COP23 conference in Dubai. Secondly, we'll discuss the speech by the Chief Justice of the Federation, the Chief Justice of Nigeria, Justice Kayode Ariwala. And thirdly, we'll discuss the budget presentation by the President of Nigeria, Bola Ahmed Tinubu, to the Nigerian legislature. So, firstly, Phoenix, are you going to explain to our listeners where you've been? And secondly, are you in Dubai, Phoenix, as well, attending the <laughs> COP28 conference? Hi, listeners. Uh, hi, Michael. Hi, uh, Atiku. Thanks for joining us this week. Um, don't, listeners, don't mind uh, uh, Michael. He's, uh, he's attempting to hide from the fact that this was both ways. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but to his second question, luckily I'm not in Dubai because it seems like those who are in Dubai right now are are not finding it funny in terms of people calling them out and thinking that they are there on, on the on government largesse. So it's it's actually good to stay out of Dubai for now, so people don't think that you are, you are there for the Nigerian government's jamboree. Well, thank you, Phoenix. I'm pleased to hear you're not in Dubai. But to the issue, so first question, because there's been a lot of drama and somebody made the point of social media that this is the first conference that has led to what we call international dragging at the same time. So it seems almost every country in the world has their citizens dragging their leaders for the number of people they've brought to Dubai. But it seems Nigeria is number one of the, on the calling out lists. So can you explain to us what's going on? Why are Nigerians particularly irate that we have a delegation attending the, the COP conference? Isn't climate change an important issue for Nigeria? Why shouldn't we have a delegation there, Phoenix? Well, climate climate change is is an important issue for, for, for everyone, for all the human beings. I mean, we're seeing the effects, right? We're seeing... Um, and across the world, the the effects of climate change. I mean, I, I think even climate deniers are beginning to be more circumspect these days because it's clear to everyone the impact. The question is, do, do we do we have the will to do something about it? And and that's why places like COP, I I, I mean, or events like like COP, which has been happening for a while, are important because they bring those issues to the fore. Whether they manage to get something done is is secondary. So yes, it is it is important. Is it important for Nigeria? Yes, it is, um, because we also see the effects. Um, you know, we we see the effects across board. I mean, Lagos, where our current president um, was governor for for two terms, we see the impact of flooding. Um, we see the issues there. We we know in the north with with the deforestation and all of that there's a, there's a significant impact that we're seeing, and so from and of course we also know the impact of 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 flaring that happens in the Niger Delta and of course the impact of uh, of all of that. So is it Nigeria is not um, separate from climate concerns. But we also know that um, it's not so easy for countries like Nigeria, poor countries who depend on resource, who haven't industrialized, who haven't created an industrial base to begin to, you know, take on board some of the requirements, you know, while they're still struggling um, to meet the needs of their people and build a, a society that works for everyone. 
so we're not I was not surprised, you know, when some of the major, you know, political some of the major candidates for the presidency in the just recently concluded election cycle um were at pains to say that that look while they understand while I mean they are aware of these conversations around the climate, they don't think that that would be the major priority until they've put Nigeria on the development mental path. It's it's hard to hear, but I mean it's a fair point. And Tinubu did say that. So now when we so in going to COP, yeah, it's fair to go there because I think yes, you you need to go there and make your case and explain why you think it's a challenge for you and all of that. But not only that, in my view, you also go there to sell yourself to those who are looking to invest in things that are that are going to put the the planet in the right place. To you know, there are, there are funds, there are people who want to invest in climate-focused uh, um, um, initiatives. And you can also put yourself in the frame for some of those things, which I think is important because people miss the point that, you know, everything, everything that you see as a challenge actually creates an opportunity. You know, trying to fix the climate creates a different type of industry, creates different types of skills, creates different types of needs. And Nigeria can get in, you know, now and create, and that could create employment for our people by looking, you know, into, okay, what does it mean? What, what, can, he, what can he create for us? We saw it with the telecoms boom. When we joined, after everybody had mobile phones, we came in later. But now you see that most of the new technology we have is even better than some places that are more developed than, than us. And so we, 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 we jump past a lot of the the initial developmental phases and you know acquired new technology. This could also be something for us where we're working on on the climate, but at the same time creating development needs for our people. But then when we look at <laughs> sorry for that long-winded response because um, it's an important topic in my mind. But then when we look at the the way Nigeria has gone about it and Tinubu's. Uh, entourage or i mean it, it's incredible i mean the reason why people are upset and rightfully so is because we i mean we all know that nigeria is not in the financial place to be doing this kinds of junketing you know taking over a thousand people to dubai you know spending this kind of money you just came away from onga where people were complaining about you spending half a million dollars on hotel bills now you're in Dubai, probably going to spend significantly more because it's for a longer period. There's a larger contingent. It just speaks to it just speaks to tone deafness. It's like, you know, you're coming out with a with, and we're going to talk about the budget. I believe you're coming out with a budget saying that you need to borrow to fund it. We your debt levels are astronomically high at historically high levels. Um, we've basically lost all the benefit of the debt write down. So Nigeria is not in a place where you are financially in a good place. We've seen the Naira devalue significantly because you don't have the effects to to defend it. Not that it's the right choice to defend it, but you know those are economic indices that we're talking about. There's high unemployment. There's so much going wrong. This is not the kind of messaging that that, that people want to see. So people are rightfully upset that they have a profligate government that doesn't care about the fact that, you know, this is not the right time to be doing these kinds of things. Even though they say all these things to us, they're going about things exactly how I expected if Putinubu government would be and why I was vehemently against him coming to power. So, I, I mean, I, I'm, I, I, I understand why those people are saying the things they're saying. They, they're right. This is absolute nonsense. Thank you, Phoenix. Samuel, you I'm sure you must have seen the explanations provided by the Nigerian government for the number of people that they've put on the list. So, for example, you have the internet influencer. I think her name is Tok Toke Makingwap. She's on the list. You have the sports minister, Sunday Dari, whose name on the list appeared as a climate change expert. I did not know that. 
You have the APC National Youth Leader, Dio Israel, who also appears to, who was also at the conference, claiming to be some sort of consultant on climate change. The, the two sons of the president were there listed on the management staff. So can you explain to us, uh, Samuel, what, what really is going on? Because there have been all kinds of theories. One interesting theory I saw was that perhaps the visa, visa ban on Nigerians going to Dubai seemed to have gotten to the Nigerian elite. So they all wanted to at least dip their toes in Dubai before the year ended. So they all just put their names in the list. Is, is there credibility to that? Or, or what do you think was going on? Yeah, I'm also struggling. I'm also struggling to understand um, uh, the underlying reasons why you have so many people um, uh, jump in and then jump in on this fantastic um, train drive all the way to Dubai that have blocked us for years. Of course, a good opportunity for holidays in the middle of um, in the middle of, of course, December. So people will want to use that for holiday. But if you look closely at the agenda of that conference, it's focusing the I mean, the conference focused on seven broad things. One, they were going to have a conversation around loss and damage um, finance um, facility. Of course, how how climate change, I mean, how that has already exacerbated actions that needs to be taken to take corrective measures and by extension, the immediate impact of all these things, the financial support systems, the damage to the financial support systems, of course, how it's impacting the most vulnerable community. I think the second thing is about the global goal on finance. We talk about the energy and just transition, given the whole noise that we had after after Russia, Ukraine conflict, and then by extension, uh, how that has affected energy across the world. Uh, of course, emission gaps, the key gaps around emission will be discussed in there. There will be, of course, the global stock take conclusion around, okay, what's happening, the temperature are dropping, typically looking at what scientists have been able to unravel between last year and this year, and then sharing that. And more importantly, they will be showcasing tools and solutions, new, new idea that um, had come to, I mean, that have come to, <laughs> that uh, people have actually come up with that they can use to solve some of the emerging challenges. Now, if you look closely at Nigeria, the question is that, what has Nigeria really done? What substance are we taking to the table? What kind of conversation are we going to, there to do? That's the first question. Now, if you look at the caliber of people, a lot of people that have gone to that conference, the big question is that, are they where do they align around this agenda? Very difficult to find that. That's one. Number two, the cost. Remember, recently the president did mention that we don't have funds. I think Phoenix did mention it. That we don't have funds to actually throw around. As such, you decide to place tax on the working poor, the have nots, right? Removing subsidy. And the whole idea is that you're going to take out this subsidy and then you are going to use it to actually improve people's life. Now, if you look at the numbers very well, um, I mean, if you look close, people say, oh, they're just traveling, it's just, it's not plane, it's just not plane tickets, right? If you're traveling, if you see the Esther code, each of these participants will collect those going on the bill of government, depending on the level you sit in government, right? It's massive. Some of them will get above $15,000 and they will pay them in dollars minus the hotel bill. Some of them will get close to $25,000 in terms of at the expense of the working poor, they have not. That raises a very big contextual question. And that's what we have been saying. People shout around, oh, we have a revenue problem. We have it. The question is that we've not been able to manage the little resources we've been. I mean, the truth is, let's be, let's be kind to ourselves. Nigeria is where? What's our agenda? What is our plan to take correct measures against climate change? Maybe Lagos State government have been destroying people's houses and trying to expand the canal or something. There's no national consensus around it. 2030, people are talking about, okay, we're going to ban um, the use of PMS, diesel, to power cars, sales of uh, new cars that are powered by diesel. And Nigeria have absolutely no agenda around that. 
The most vulnerable people, people living in the Niger Delta, how do you clean up the Niger Delta? Is zero agenda around all those people. When you go to the northern part of the country, those areas has been encroached by the desert. Is zero agenda around that? Remember, the president said, oh, I'm going to rehash uh, the Lake Shard. The question is that what has happened in terms of the conversation around that? Is zero. If you go into our inner city, how we dispose waste? No idea, no agenda whatsoever. How do we dispose electronic materials? Electro, I mean, electron, electro. <laughs> sorry, I'm now beginning to sound like if I'm from Dubai. Maybe <laughs> you, we have absolutely no agenda whatsoever in terms of policy formulation, in terms of policy agenda. And then we take a huge entourage at the expense of the working poor. They have not. The reason why you are paying 50,000 for a bag of rice. 60,000 is because of government, right? So just imagine that 50,000, you are dumping almost 20,000. They are taking that 20,000 away from you to go and do this. And that's ridiculous what they've done. And regardless, I mean, <laughs> Michael, the question you've asked is, what are they thinking about when they do this? I, I can't, I can't, I mean, I can't place that in terms of, in terms of how you think about it logically. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't think Nigeria needs more than even 10 people to go to, have a conversation around uh, climate change. The first thing that the president should be doing now is to put things on ground to begin to think through how we can actually begin to solve problems, coming up with policy agendas. Unfortunately, we have nothing to present to the world uh, in terms of what we are doing, in terms of solutions that we've come up with. We have a zero. Even the old problems that we have is still hanging in there. We've not been able to solve it. We still continue to flare gas anyhow there's no conversation around that and then we go with this huge entourage to go and showcase what to go and have a conversation around what that we are the so definitely phoenix this thing is not about the policy around the climate change it's actually a getaway maybe to go and party in dubai uh, after a long visa ban and i'm sure they they are i'm sure they are laughing at us where they are regardless of what people are saying thank you Atiko. let me come to phoenix Phoenix, the IG of police, the Inspector General of Police, was also at this conference. And there were at least three or four spokespersons to the president at this conference. Um, is the IG's job relevant to climate change? Some people have said his job is to arrest the climate. Is that what's happening? Or, or what is the IG's role in Dubai? <laughs> Maybe I really don't know. Seriously, I really don't know. I I, I guess, like uh, Atiku was saying, it was the opportunity for a holiday. You know, the weather in Dubai is fantastic this time of the year, so everyone decided to hop on the bandwagon. I mean, there were loads of folks there. So, I mean, I I think at one point I heard that there were twenty five ministers on the list and things like that. So why shouldn't the IG go there? After all. He has to think about policing needs for um, a climate challenged atmosphere. So maybe there's some there's some security concerns that he has to go there and figure out how, <laughs> how they'll be addressed. But the whole COP thing is just emblematic of you know what what we what what we should expect. What a lot of us said this is what you're going to get from, from this guy becoming president. And it's, it's, uh, I mean, Nigerians should just brace themselves at least for the next, what's it now? Three and a half years. This is, this is what you see. You definitely not see any, any positive movement. You just see all of this, uh, waste and yeah, that's just what it's about. Oh, thank you, Phoenix. <laughs> A friend of mine who's politically connected, who did want to comment on the issues, he posted the lyrics to a song on his Instagram page. And I think it's that Davido song. Sorry, my, my voice is terrible, but it went something like, No be by force to go Dubai. I've been now waiting because the fights. So is is do you think this Dubai trip is going to lead to some major Political fallout when they all return to Nigeria. Political fallout? Why? 
There's no need to, unless there are some people who are left out, left out of the jamboree. Those are the ones who will be upset. I mean, all those who went, I heard they are, they are partying, the, the boat parties are going on. Why would they fall out? They'll be looking for well, more of the same. So, well, there's going to be a boat party as well? I hear they've already had some boat parties. So whether that that's, I mean, I, was, I don't know whether the videos are correct or not. I saw a video that someone was posting. But it's to be oh, expected. Wow. Dubai is known with, for his both parties. So with the IG IG or police dancing as well. Well, ensuring that there's security and that all goes well. <laughs> <laughs> the IG providing well that that seems like a plausible explanation providing security for the boat party. But my my final question at this point is to Samuel. Samuel, it also came to light that. President Balatinibu was supposed to deliver a speech, but didn't. It's either he didn't show up or was just AWOL. And the foreign minister provided some explanation that Bolatinibu did not feel the need to speak anymore because he had nothing further to add to the issues. Um, do you think that's a credible explanation for why he, he missed his speech, Samuel? Well, I mean, I mean, how do I how do I start now? <laughs> they say don't offend um, don't abuse the president. Maybe I will stop at that. But let's think about it this way. Uh, you go on the presidential jet, um, almost about seven hours away from Abuja. And why where are you going? What are you going there to do? Or you're going there to present what your country is doing around those seven agendas. And then what Africa needs the world to do for, I mean, the world to actually do, you need to present what Nigeria is actually doing and how Nigeria will be leading in terms of the agenda around climate, the climate action agenda within sub-Saharan Africa region and even beyond. And so the president went with a fantastic long list, including a policeman, his ADC, his sons, um, a long list of people uh, to Dubai. When they land in Dubai, they sat down and listened to speech, right? And he said, oh, we actually have absolutely no agenda whatsoever again. So let me just walk away from it. How does that sound? That's one of the biggest ridiculous excuse you can give for failure. Now, um, what I would say is this. The president needs to travel. And the reason why he needs to travel is not far-fetched. He needs to re-legitimize himself as a president that people don't tend to see as presidents. Let's be sincere with ourselves. This last election cycle, and then we'll be the one before, and then the actions of Buhari immediately after he won election, how he's been talking, Nigeria has lost its place uh, one way or the other. And so what you see Nigerian leaders doing now is any little opportunity they have to jump on the plane where world leaders is, take some photo. They, of course, they always go with these nice photographer, photographers. So I mean, the photographers will follow them around. They take pictures. They want to be seen shaking hands with um, uh, the people, uh, right? They want to be seen close to people, more like to legitimize themselves. Remember, the president was taking a picture with Izzy Okunjo well and trying to use that as a two-cup, right? To push people up and say, oh, yeah, everybody accepts me. I think that's what the show, the jamboree is all about because I'm not sure any reasonable person, I mean, I can't imagine myself uh, getting on a three hours um, road trip to, ne to the next city, where I'm going, maybe to a small conference uh, as a researcher, and then you get in there and you're supposed to make a presentation that you've prepared around what you've been doing. And then you get in there and then you listen to four or five people and you say, oh, really, I don't have anything to say. These people have said it all. When you go to meetings and you see somebody, they say, do you have anything to say? No, I have nothing to say. I've said it shows the person is actually not in the meeting. The person is coming there for that agenda. And that's essentially where we are as a country. Um, Nigeria has a zero policy. We have a zero agenda around climate action. We've not been doing anything significant. I mean, we still throw bottles everywhere. 
we clog our waterways, we destroy our waterways, we don't care really about the environment. We don't have policy in place to actually take those corrective measures. So it's not far fetched. Why would the president go there to say? We go there and tell people that oh, we still flag gas, uh, we throw, we throw pet bottles into the sea, and we are one of the leading contributors to that. Yeah, we, we the desert is encroaching these people, but we really don't care about it. And uh, yes, during the electioneering period, I did tell people that yes, I was going to rehash the the lake the, the lake shard, but I've not done anything significantly after that one. In fact, my budget doesn't speak to it. Well, what is the president going to say? That's a big question. So, Michael, I, I think the president have a zero agenda going to the meeting. The meeting is a getaway. You take some pictures, shake hands with, um, I'll call it the imperialist, right? That's what they use, right? You shake hands with the French president. You take pictures very close to the presidents of the world, and then you throw that around to say, oh, the world has accepted me as the president of Nigeria. I'm legitimate. That's what the whole jamboree is all about. And Nigeria has to spend a lot to get to that. Thank you very much, uh, Samuel Atiku. I, I, Bolatinibu, I'm sure, will will respond to uh, your your comments. Now, I know I said it was my final question, but this is actually the final question to you, Phoenix. Another interesting phrase that seemed to emerge from this this trip to Dubai or this Dubai uh, trip is the concept of a climate baddie. That's what people were talking about on social media. They said some people are climate baddies. Can you expand further, Phoenix? What is a climate baddie that they were talking about? <laughs> Michael, I don't know what... <laughs> I don't know what a climate baddie is, Michael. Uh, where, where did you pick this one from? But let, let's start this way, Michael. Do you know what a baddie is in the first instance? No, I'm not familiar, but I just noticed that they were calling one or two <laughs> people who attended the trip climate baddies. So I thought maybe you or maybe Sam or Sam will give you a face to expand. But what, what is a climate baddie? Does anybody know? <laughs> I think we should have a separate podcast, uh, separate episode to deal with this topic because. I I don't know what a climate baddie is. Um, I've seen the word baddie thrown around, so I didn't follow the conversation around the specific climate baddies. But yeah, it seems like an interesting concept indeed. Well, okay. Well, hopefully, if any of our listeners know what a climate baddie is, you know please what? endeavor I to I, let. I think I think we will put it up in one in our questions. Uh, <laughs> after the podcast to see if people can help us out there. Yes, maybe somebody can clarify. Interesting concept, climate baddie. Well, the, but then to the next topic, which is the Chief Justice of Nigeria, Justice Kayode Ariwola, came out all guns blazing, said the judiciary should not be intimidated by the mob, and they should deliver their rulings without fear or favor. Um, Samuel, some people would say that's a reasonable statement for a judge to make that you should not be moved by the mob that you should deliver your judgments without fair or favor so why has that speech why does it appear to have riled up many people in the civil society space and political space Samuel that's a very interesting I'll call it an interesting topic now I will say that the first thing one needs to think about especially when you looking at the justice system in Nigeria, is that where are we, where did we start from, and where did we find ourselves? Growing up, judges are seen as people that you should respect in society. Just like at one point in time, pastors were seen in Nigeria as people you should not touch. Uh, but we know what happened when pastors overstep their bounds. The world keeps evolving. There's a massive demographic shift. And there's a reason why you have atheists growing in the world. Now Nigeria has eat home, right? The courts have been hitting. People that you presume are actually immune from criticism are being criticized openly now. That is exactly how did we get there? It's because of wrong actions, 
mistook. And then when people begin to throw things around. Now, it's important to see quickly that transparency is not about restoring trust in an institution. It is the politics of actually managing that mistrust. So if you have a CJN coming out tongue blazing, right? To tell people that our actions are not something you should question. Meaning that our brains are actually the best in our society in terms of making judgments, in terms of how we see things. And then once we make pronouncements, even if someone did not contest the election, we can declare that person the president and everybody should shut up and fall in line, right? You told that line. People like Ameshi, right? That they were never, they did not contest the election. Nigerian electorates, I mean, did not vote them. The whole concept of constitutional democracy being trampled upon. Just imagine a United States where you have Trump and Biden contesting election. All of, all of a sudden, Supreme Court justice come out of the blues and tell you, oh, it is uh, maybe Ron Paul that is the president because of ABCD. Imagine what will happen in that, in that situation. So the truth is that the justice system is designed for Nigeria, not Nigeria for the justice system. So when you see a judge that have shown with previous pronouncement and recent pronouncement conflicting judgments, where pronouncement does not even make common sense to people, people can't people even a kid, a child can see through the wall that these people are extremely very corrupt. And if you, I mean, if you want to take my word for it, go and read the NJC themselves, the, <laughs> the National Judicial Council, statement they've released in the past. When you see former justice, rather than say things, of course, rather than say things where they were sitting there, when they're about to step out of the place, they start making, they start complaining. When you see the, even the former CJ, the CJ, the former one, Tanko, rolling around. When you see even the one before Tanko, was accused, right, of corruption and was forcefully removed. And then somebody comes up because it's the CJN, raises his head up and says, there's nothing Nigerians can do. We are the authority. We are, we are above the constitution of the country. I think it's wrong. I think it's And there's a reason why the, ju the jury system were instituted across the world. Um... It's not a question of being a mob. It's not a question of um, people getting mob and all those kind of conversation. It's not about, I mean, it's lucky that he's saying that in Nigeria. And of course, because he's being backed by Nigerian politicians. Just imagine a, justice, a judge in America say that. I mean, he will have learned his lesson by now. And besides, the whole concept of having a super judge called CJN, I actually do not believe in it. Um... Nobody should actually take upon himself the authority uh, to begin to do one or two things. I don't think anybody should take on that authority in Nigeria. I think what we need is actually a situation whereby we have people with reputation, with people people that will put their reputation before their own personal interests. I mean, people that will put the country's reputation, their own reputation before personal interests. Those are the class of people we need in the country. And unfortunately, I'm sorry to say it, Personally, I don't trust the justice system. I've always been making a big joke around it. I say, if you like, it's, they say it's only Mumu that go to court. So if you go to court, if you can't pay money, if you don't have money to pay, as politicians have said, of course, even a senator in Nigeria stand in front of the Senate, right? And announced to the world that he was able to facilitate true corruption. He was able to help his colleagues get informed just I mean, judgment. What again do we need? That's the biggest evidence you need as a country, that the justice system is corrupt. And he said that and nothing happened. You have situations whereby people that did not contest election are declared president. People's vote, I said, oh, they are wasted votes. You say, what do you mean by wasted votes? People's, the whole concept of democracy, where people select their leader, elect their leaders, is being trampled upon by the justice system. And he's saying that, oh, people have no right to complain about it. Just throw the line and follow, follow, follow through with it. 
More important, I think it's important for us to ask him a hard question. And the question I will ask him is, what has he spent to do? How is this? Let's even see the budget for the Nigerian, the Nigerian Judicial Council. That money, that lush fund they've been collecting, how are they been spending it? Let people gaze their eye into it and then we can have a conversation. They've been hiding things from Nigeria for long. I remember about um, six years ago, where you fire... Now, this is a justice system that should uphold the Freedom of Information Act, right? When you ask them questions, they should, they should actually give you. You go to the National Judicial Council, you ask them, how do you spend your money? They never give get back to you. I mean, that's another topic for another day. But my take is this. One, we are all Nigerians. We are all the same, right? As long as you are a Nigerian and you are in Nigeria, you are in Nigeria. The fact that you are sitting in a position is just a privileged position. You cannot usurp my authority as a Nigerian or demean me as a Nigerian because you are sitting in a particular. That's the way people should think about it. So a judge cannot come up and say, I decide for everybody. No, that's not how it works. In democracy, the majority, through vote, through their vote, elect their leaders. And I'm happy that now people are beginning to talk about it. I hope that by the end of this circle, we can begin to put that judiciary of very, very corrupt judges. Thank you, Samuel. Phoenix. Professor Ding Kalu, one of the prominent social critics, has come out guns blazing, criticizing the Chief Justice for his speech. And one of the things he highlighted was that under this Chief Justice, the, there has been a significant increase in judicial nepotism, where apparently even the Chief Justice himself has appointed one of his sons as a judge. And Professor Ding Kalu complains that this judge is not even qualified to sit on the bench. Now, are you in agreement with Professor Dean Kalu's criticisms? Is there anything wrong with people following their parents into the same careers they've entered, Phoenix? Or do you think this is an unfair criticism? I think there's there's nothing wrong with people following their, their parents into into careers that they've, they've, they've held. Um, I think the important piece of what... Um, Chidi was saying was the qualification. I mean that. I mean he 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 put forward that he did not believe that the that this person was fit for office, which is what then leads to the uh, the claims of nepotism. So yes, I mean I, I cannot begrudge someone who wants to go to the uh, I mean become a judge has aspirations to become a judge and works hard for it and. You know, has the career, re the resume that that befits the position. You cannot say because the person's father is a senior judge or chief justice, then that person should be denied the opportunity. But it should be. But you see, it it needs to be. It needs to be seen that things are done the proper way. What you would expect is that the chief justice will recuse himself from any decision that will be that will be. Um, that would lead to the appointment of of his son. He it should also be seen that, you know, they put in place a proper panel, a proper you know selection committee that is over and above. But you know, I'm sorry, it's just the nature of how it works. You will be subjected to more scrutiny because it is fair to assume that you are going to get a free pass because your father is there. So they need to go the extra mile to make sure that, yes, you earned the right to be there. And that th this was, you know, scrutinized and everybody agreed that, yes, the man deserves it. And if he deserved it, then he should, he should have the, he should have the position. He should not be denied his ambition because of his father. So failure to show all of that makes it fair criticism. You know, if people are being appointed, and we've been hearing this for a while, that, that you know, people are being appointed into judicial positions that have no um, uh, business being there, that are clearly not qualified. Remember, we're talking about, you know, during the electoral tribunals, and we saw the, the, the manner of speech of some of these judges, and you're like, you a judge? I can't but go back to what um, uh, Atiku was talking about, and we've said this also on the podcast. How we see the 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 quality of the judiciary, you know, continue to sink to to lower and lower depths because 
he's absolutely right. The, the, the judiciary is the apex of society in any country. Where, you know, if you're calling lawyers, anybody who simply passed the bar, learned, a learned person, imagine somebody who's not only passed the bar, but has had a storied legal career, has been appointed a judge, and has gone all the way up to the Supreme Court. Imagine how that kind of person fits into the society, fits into, into how, you know, that's why they, they you know, they, of course, we, 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 we use the common law system and in, in, inherited a lot of things from, from the British. But, you know, when they call them my Lord Justice, when they call them, you know, all these things and elevate them, it is because you expect that these are the arbiters of the law. These are the, it is the law that keeps the society together. It is the law that makes it, you know, that makes it a level playing field for everyone. So the people who are custodians of the law are held in high esteem because they're expected to be fair, to, to, to manage this carefully for the sake of everyone. And so when, when they are unable to keep their house in order, when they succumb to things that ordinary humans you know, succumb to, you know, nepotism, you know, unfairness, corruption, and debase the law itself, debase the, the temples of justice, of course, they have the right to be called out. And therefore, you know, the, I mean, it is very fair criticism, very fair criticism. To whom much is given, much is expected. When they put you on a pedestal and they treat you with respect, you have to behave in a respectful manner. And you have to constantly put yourself in a place to earn that respect. The judiciary does not put itself in that space. And so it, 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 is, it is fair game for people to come at, come for them, particularly this judiciary, particularly what we've seen over the last, you know, decade or so, you know, a continued debasement. I mean, you see Ariwala's speech talking about, you know, don't listen to the mob. How dare he? You're talking about Nigerians. You're talking about the people who give rise to the nation, to the constitution. You know, if there are no Nigerians, you know, why would you be there? And then you say you will not, nobody is asking you not to treat cases fairly, but you must, you know, listen to the people and be discerning and rule in line with the law. Rule in line with also taking into account prevailing sentiment. But we are consistent seeing you law, not even willing to look at the law in its in every form, in its in its in its um in its um clear interpretation and in its spirit. Instead, you are, you keep bowing to technicalities, to rules of the court. That is more important to you than to be, seen, to be dispensing justice. When they come before you with evidence, you are striking out evidence, you are striking out witnesses, refusing to hear the facts of the case, and instead saying rules of the court. If your rules of the court will not allow us to get justice, then maybe you should discard those rules or change them so that we can get justice. And you expect people not to speak. Then you come out and tell us that you are not, you know, you, you, you are not going to pay attention to the people who speak. You know, it is at that point that the people need to understand that they are the ones that give power to the arms of government, the executive, the judiciary, and the legislature. And the people need to speak and make sure that they are heard. And this kind of disdain should not be allowed to go on, 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 um, unanswered. Thank you, Phoenix. Now, building up on Phoenix's response, Samuel, um, Professor Dinkalu, as you know, is a, is a respected lawyer and professor at the School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University in Boston. And he told an interesting story. He said during the swearing-in of the new senior advocates, he told the story of one of the lawyers who was born in 1981 when that young lawyer was born, his father was already a lawyer, and his father had filed a suit against Shell. And apparently, by the time 
this lawyer grew up and became a senior advocate of Nigeria. That was when that case against Shell was being heard at the Supreme Court. And he used that as the example of the fact that the judicial system, aside from all the other criticisms, seems to be too slow. Now, do you share Professor Dinkalu's concerns? And what do you think is the fundamental problem? Why should a court case last over 40 years, uh, Samuel? Yes, I think he's, um, he has this, um, I mean, <clears throat> how would I put it now? What he has said is actually spot on, right? Um, you, you can't hold people, I mean, you can't, justice is something that needs to come as fast as possible. Unfortunately, you have situations whereby case go on and on and on and on and on. Even the parties that were involved, people were, that are, involved in the whole case, most of them died, they leave the scene, they may be 400 years after. I'm sure some some justice will be, some judgment will be delivered 400 after the death of the of the principal subject, going by what we have. But in the same light, if you see the speed with which this same justice system that denies people justice for so long, respond to politicians, it's amazing. They do that in a in fact, you wake up one morning and then you see oh, a judge, a judgment has been delivered in this case. The question is that what happened? How do we prioritize things? And that sends a big, big question mark around the justice system. And I will say the way I see things, right, is the fact that you have the worst of our kind have been appointed to become judge, judges. The worst of our kind have been appointed. I mean, have been have been appointed to take over the machine, Heineck, right? To take over the instruments that determines whether we have a democracy or not. The worst of our kind are in the police system. And the worst of our kind are virtually everywhere where decisions are being made, where services of government are being delivered. If you go to an hospital, it is the worst of our kind, most likely that you will see as the lead administrator within that hospital system. And that, I mean, that goes down to the root cause of where we are. Now, within the justice system, let's be sincere with ourselves. We have one of the most terrible class of people that have been appointed judges. And it's not far-fetched to me. I mean, Buhari himself was breaking down their walls at one point in time because he and after breaking down their walls and then they came to a conclusion among themselves, what happened after the year after? What happened the year after was simple, right? Everybody just shut up with smart and everybody was managing his business. So I, I remember, I recall saying that time that Buhari's action using ESC, DSS to break the wall of judges is just to whip them into control. And so that's exactly where we see it. So in terms of how we administer justice in Nigeria, it's completely something that is strange to me. Um, I've read, in fact, if you look at our traditional institutions, even before this, um, this system that we run now, the traditional institution emphasize speed, emphasize fairness, emphasize, if you look closely at what they emphasize when you're administering justice, the whole concept of bringing a judge on board is to ensure that people with power does not absorb the authority, right, of a state. And the concept of a state is to ensure that everybody actually treated fairly within that conference. I'll draw a word from the Declaration of Independence of the United States. It says that when it becomes difficult, right, for, I mean, how do I put it? When, if any form of government becomes destructive to this end, right? That means it cannot guarantee life, liberty, or the pursuit of happiness. That is actually the right of the people to actually abolish such form of government. And the only instrument through which you can abolish that form of government is one, through election. Unfortunately, in Nigeria, election has been hijacked by people like Mahmoud, right? Very corrupt individuals have hijacked the whole system and they collect your money, they use your money against you to make sure that the, the people you want to elect into positions are preventing from are prevented from getting in there. The second layer is the justice system. So if they are failed, 
The constitution says you go to the justice system to ensure that you get what you want. Fortunately, also, those ones are also towing the line. So what do you do as a people? The only thing you can do as a people is actually to complain, right? You go on the street and then you make sure that your rules are actually enforced. That's the whole fundamental principle. You have to make sure that you go on the street and you ensure that um, your rights are actually not trampled on Paul. That's where we find ourselves as a country, unfortunately. My take here, Michael, is that um, the reason why we are having this kind of situation where judgment goes on forever, when things are put aside and all those things, because we have the worst of our kind, the worst of our kind as judges in this country. And until we remove them from those positions, I don't see any meaningful uh, pathway for the country. Thank you, Samuel. But uh, because of time, we need to move on to our next topic because this this debate in the judiciary is going to be ongoing because I'm sure there's uh, the, the Chief Justice's camp. I'm not going to take lightly to what Professor Dinkalu has said. But to our next topic, the budget. Phoenix, Nigeria's budget for 2024 was presented to the legislature by President Bola Ahmed Tinubu. Um, during the presentation, there was a lot of drama. So can you talk us through, first of all, Phoenix, why was it controversial that the president presented the budget? Is, isn't that what he should do to the National Assembly? Why, why did this, this trigger so much controversy? Well, I'm not sure. I mean, I think I think there's some. The, the, I think the controversies that came up was based on there was this lawmaker. I forget his name now from NNPP. I think the I think the lawmaker from Jigawa or something like that from from the New Nigerian Party who was saying that Tinubu uh, presented the budget and there was there was nothing. In the, I mean, there were no budget documents in what he presented. So basically, he hasn't presented, but he just gave them highlights um, of the sectoral distribution and made a speech. Now, you know, the, the budget presentation ceremony, that's what I, I see it as, is, is just, you know, theater, right? That's not where the real work is done. It's meant to be where the president gives you know, does a ceremonial handing presentation of his budget, um, you know, gives a speech calling out, you know, the key highlights and what, what his focus is on and what the basis of the budget is. And then, you know, post that, the National Assembly gets to work reviewing the details of the budget. Now, I don't know if in the past, and I haven't looked into this, they actually printed out budget documents and handed over, perhaps. I I don't recall. I haven't looked at it, but I mean, if <laughs> if as they they said there was nothing in the boxes that he presented and there was nothing printed, then it's a departure from ceremony. But departure, as far as I'm concerned, for good reasons. I mean, we're talking about we're talking about COP twenty eight and the guy going to COP twenty eight. Why 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 print paper and cut down trees just because you want to present something to people who would not read it? If but they needed to have agreed that that's, there will be a departure from if that was their standard ceremony that, look, we won't present you in paper this time around. We'll send you the electronic version, has everything, and you can decide to print it if you want, or you can, you know, deal with it online. You know, that, that, can, be a, that can be a part of the process, but to the extent that that probably wasn't done, um, the, the National Assembly members, probably well within their rights to say this is their normal ceremony, this is what they expected, it didn't happen, so as far as they're concerned, there is no budget. Now, there's credence to that because when you go onto the website of the budget office, the, the details, the, the full breakdown of the budget still doesn't exist. So, you know, what, what did Tinubu present? So that's the question that needs to be answered in terms of, you know, what, what really did he do? Um, but then again, <laughs> it goes back to some of these conversations around, you know, whether people are ready to to lead or not. Um, and and we'll see. Um, and and maybe some maybe Atiku may you know 
have more insight because he, he I know does does a thorough look at the budget and perhaps he's seen the full thing. I haven't seen it. Uh, I may be able to speak to that some more. Thank you, Phoenix. Samuel, obviously, there was also some singing in the chamber and the singing seemed to upset people. From what I gather, people were singing about standing on somebody's mandate. On your mandate, we shall stand. Is there anything wrong with that? If that's Bolatinibu's preferred song, why was it an issue that the Nigerian military was playing on your mandate, we shall stand? <laughs> yeah, I think, again, institutional problems. Um Maybe they've changed um, uh, the emblem, right? The introductory uh, band beat right, that they play for the president of Nigeria. Maybe for one reason or the other, it's been adopted and changed or mixed up. And then that was what informed what we saw. But I think it's interesting to think about it this way. Um, the president had gone to a house, the house of the people, the representative of the people, and then had laid his own agenda. What he presumes will help my community, your community, everybody in the country, right? What he presumes will work in. And then I presented it to them. They've not read the details of the budget. They've actually not interrogated the budget. And the reason why the constitution says that you need, the president needs to pull the appropriation bill before the house is to ensure that there's strong oversight. And the next thing we hear is on your mandate we stand. Meaning that of course, the people are just useless, right? Nigerians should shut up and go and sit down. That the whole fundamental activity we are conducting here is just to toe the line of the president. Whether the president wants a brown new 70 kilo, I mean, 100, uh, what do you call it now? 100 uh, story mansion to be delivered in body long. On that mandate, we are standing. That's the interpretation that most people give to it. Very, very embarrassing. But that said also, the annual ritual of the president presenting the budget, if you listen to the budget speech, it was number one, empty on details, empty on aspiration, uh, a, a major departure. So you looked at the, the song that people anchor on. Well, if you look at the speech very well, the speech was also a complete departure. Number one, it did not talk, it did not tell us in clear terms what his aspirations look like. If you read the speech into the, I mean, in depth, you will know that there's a big gap in what we've been known to hear. And during that budget speech, we always hear a whole lot of things, but this time around it was completely different. Aside from that, on that same day also, uh, what's the name of this um, this um, Abasha Bakaria that the president had decided to appoint in charge of my budget? Yes, Atiku. I think I have, I think one something is happening to that name. I think I need to find something to do with my name, Atiku, right? <laughs> That's, <the minister. laughs> That's Senator Abu Bakar, right? Atiku Baguda. Is it Bagudu? Yeah. On that same day, he also actually laid out at Ministry of Finance the breakdown of the budget, talked about the budget. He had a long slide where he talked about a whole lot of things. The coordinating minister of the uh, economy at that meeting mentioned that he was just there as a visitor. Essentially, my interpretation is that the coordinating minister of the economy has announced is actually not the one coordinating the fiscal affairs. So the question is that, so what is the coordinating minister doing? So you have the coordinating minister of the economy telling us that it's just here as a participant. So the question shows clearly again that the complete departure for what we've seen in the past. So, <laughs> Michael, what you talked about on the floor across the entire process of the budget, including, I mean, Phoenix mentioned it, not putting the details of the budget online, we are showing complete departure. And this is not new. This is exactly how Lagos, uh, the Lagos that, you know, if you've worked with Lagos, in, that's how Lagos we actually run. 
where you have to struggle to get the budget. Even when they give you the budget, the budget is actually empty. They give you a 20-page document. You begin to look at the 20 page Oh, want to construct road. They just give you one lump sum. They won't tell you where the road is. Allowing the president use discretion and use politics to appoint and decide where project goes to. And then a whole lot of corruption comes into that play. So, uh, Michael, yeah, there are complete departure across board. What has happened? Uh, from the president going to the National Assembly up to even the minister presenting the budget to the public, the normal pu public consultation forum that we are used to that happens two days after the president prepared. So all those things, we are showing complete departure. And um, people need to keep an eye on. I believe that it's, maybe it's called Maybe because everybody, the people, I'm sure, maybe the person in charge of them um, uploading the budget or something is also doing COP in Dubai. So maybe when they get back, uh, we get a full details of the budget and then we can pull a high into the budget and see clearly what's happening in there. Thank you, Samuel. Now, Phoenix, we, one of our four previous guests on the show, who goes by the name of Tex the Law, he tweeted something. He, he, he drew my attention to one of the statements of a Labour senator, Labour Party senator, which seems to summarise the mood in the House. And the Labour senator said the budget for 2024 is commendable. We don't have a breakdown, but when we do, we'll be able to see how to deal with the infrastructural problem in Nigeria. So in summary, he says the budget is, is fantastic, but we don't know what it is, but we are sure it's fantastic. This is a Labour Party senator, Felix. So what is happening in Nigeria? How are senators standing on the mandates and congratulating the president on a document that they have not seen? Is, is this governance by faith? As, as they say, faith is calling things that be not as though they are. Is that, is that where we're in the realms of now, Felix? I I mean I think that's that's a that's a that's a great one that you pulled out there, um, Michael. Because I mean it it, it indeed it can only be faith based, um, faith based um, fiscal management when you have no idea of what's in the what has been done or what has been presented, and you're sure that it's great. I mean, the, these guys are, are charlatans. And I think, you know, while I think it's 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 good that we're calling out people in the labor labor I mean labor party representatives because yes, they they held themselves while we must be also be mindful that not every one of them um held up to the ideals that the people were looking for. I think, you know, Labour Party benefited a lot from the um the the character and and what people expected of Peter Obi. I think there, I mean as we've come to see, especially with the issue of the of the SUVs and the fact that we didn't hear of any Labour Party person who rejected this, you know, or some of the issues that we've been talking about and and especially this case the, the and let's call them out. I, think, I believe it was Victor Ume who who came out. If that did I get his first name right? Yes, but it was it was it was him who came out and made that statement, which is just it's just incredible. You know, even people who should be in the opposition and who should be making their voices heard on on and keeping the government on its toes were there. I didn't hear anyone booing the mandate song that they were singing. And it doesn't get any more partisan than that song. Everyone who is politically aware in Nigeria knows that that song is for Bola Tinubu and is sung by his most ardent of supporters. To hear that being sung in the Red Chamber, to hear that being sung, you know, in the House of the People, to hear that, you know, and... I mean, no, no booze from the opposition. No, no walkouts to say no. This is unacceptable. You know, I can understand if APC people want to stand on the mandate. I mean, we know that Abio is there for the ride, and you know, we, we know his own politics. So, and, and we've been seeing it. But to see that, you know, 
people who are supposed to be in the opposition are not acting in the way they should act. It was it, it's it's it, it's quite disturbing. So it just continues to prove that what we've seen that the people are the opposition. And the people are doing their job. They are keeping the heat on. They are challenging all of these things. They are calling out the nonsense as they see it. So long may that continue. Thank you, Phoenix. I must say, I, I find the song actually quite catchy. On your mandate, we shall stand. So I think it's quite funny. That's, that's, catchy. that's how you yeah. catch people who, who are not very smart. You know, you catch <laughs> and easy to remember lyrics. <laughs> well, let's hope uh, when we eventually see the contents of this budget, uh, we can debate it further. But our time is up. So first of all, thank you, Samuel, for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here. Thank you, Phoenix, for co-hosting. And last but not least, I say thank you to our listeners for always giving us helpful fe feedback. But until same time next week, I, have, I say have a fantastic seven days to everyone. Thanks, Michael. And thanks, Atiku, for joining us. Thank you, listeners. Have a great week, everyone.